Hi, and welcome to Edge with Dr. Stephen Brown. This podcast series focuses on the story, the personal narrative of Australians who have pushed at the edge. They have been pioneers who are doing amazing things that are a little bit different to the everyday. Sometimes their stories are told and well celebrated, and sometimes these stories are reasonably well hidden. Dr. Stephen Brown is a highly regarded leader in the education sector, both in Australia and internationally. He is the managing director of the Brown Collective and has a strong interest in people and getting to know their stories. He has developed this podcast series to introduce you to some of Australia's finest citizens. It's a long way from Emerald Hill, a um, small town, as I understand, 10 minutes uh, from the fabulous township of Gunnedah in New South Wales to making a test taboo against the All Blacks uh, in New Zealand, uh, certainly an extraordinary distance in arguably a short period of time for a 22-year-old that uh, just lives up the street from where I live in, in Brisbane. I've watched and admired this young man um, go from Gregory Terrace to a Wallabies jumper, but more importantly and a bit parochially uh, to wear the Queensland Reds jersey with great pride. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. So it's my great pleasure to welcome to Edge uh, the wonderful uh, Australian Wallaby, current Wallaby, Harry Wilson. So welcome, Harry. Thank you for having me. Harry, take us back to Emerald Hill, the BMX track, growing up with your two brothers. What an idyllic lifestyle. Your dad, Cameron, and who's a cattle buyer and mum, a teacher, Mandy. What a, what a wonderful uh, lifestyle. What's it like growing up at Emerald Hill? Yeah, it was awesome. I don't reckon you could have uh, too much of a better childhood than I guess the one uh, myself and my two brothers, Sam and Will, had. As you said, we had the BMX track, which would always, uh, I guess, ride the motorbikes on. We had about a 30, 40 metre footy field with goalposts either end and then a cricket net. So as a young uh, sports fanatic, it was everything there I needed. And um, yeah, there wasn't too much uh, sitting inside watching the TV when we were young. It was all out versing each other in sports. Yeah, did you... um as I understand, you, you uh, reputedly and uh, on record, uh, pretty fair cricketer, uh, your self-declared sports uh, tragical nut. So cricket, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, ever since I, I guess was born, I had two passions, which is probably rugby, rugby and then cricket. In the summer, you play cricket. In the uh, winter, you play rugby. And yeah, for me, it was just a sport I've just always loved and admired. It's uh, two very different sports, but I just like, I guess, cricket in the, the way it's it's an all-day event and it's, uh, you can have the, go from the highs of scoring runs to, to the lows of getting ducks. So it's um, it's a very unique sport and something I, I love playing, but I, I definitely do miss now. I haven't played it for a few years and uh, still get down to the nets now and then just have a little hit just to uh, make sure I, I don't forget how to play it. So you uh, two brothers, Sammy's a pretty fair cricketer as well, uh, playing first grade in uh, Brisbane. But um, I, I just need to talk a little bit about local mythology. Is it true you've never copped a uh, suspension uh, formally in your professional rugby career, but you do have one, one suspension given out by your father. Is that true? Yes, yes, that is true. Um, uh, luckily, so far, my uh, rugby career, touch, touch wood, haven't been suspended for on-field uh, 
reasons, but um, I think well, I would have been oh, maybe six or seven when I tried to steal, uh, I think, a dollar from the tax shop so I could buy some cough wallies. And uh, when mum and dad found out about that, that was a, that was a week off footy. And I think uh, I definitely learned a lot in that week, uh, not being able to play play on the weekend. I think I was in tears for a good 48 hours there. But um, yeah, the only suspension I ever had and hopefully never get another one now. Yeah, I've always admired and, um, and wondered and uh, acknowledged and uh, said to your parents what a great family that they've uh, overseen. And uh, obviously, you uh, three boys are a great example of their parenting. It wasn't an easy transition to Brisbane, I understand, but uh, your two brothers went to Gregory Terrace and you were being the younger one in primary school before you went to Terrace, but didn't want to leave the farm or didn't want to leave Canada. Yeah, I guess growing up as a, a country boy, you don't really like change too much. But um, I guess, yeah, it was on when I was 10 was when we made the trip up to Brisbane. And um, at the time, I was, a, I guess, a, a bit, bit of a brat, made it very hard and tried to make mum and dad feel feel terrible for making us do it. But I guess in hindsight, it was probably the best thing uh, they've ever done for us with all the opportunities me and Sam and Will have all had since moving to Brisbane. But, um, yeah, I remember Sam really, really wanted to go to boarding school in Sydney, which um, is something I never ever would have considered if I, if we didn't move here, I would have uh, definitely just stayed in Canada. But then we worked out to be a bit wiser and a bit, I guess, financially better to just move to Brisbane. So yeah, forever grateful since. So did you wake up one day and say I'm going to play for Australia, or did you say this is really what my aim is, my purpose? I see. You said earlier you were just focused on sport. Did you say one day, well, this is my pathway? How did that come about? I guess it was just always the the dream which you never think you can actually achieve. It was more just, I guess for me, it was always just trying to make the next rep team or try and play well on the weekend. I never really, I guess, had that time when I just clicked in my head that I thought I want to be a Wallaby. But, yeah, just being a young uh, person who loved all sports, I wanted to, my, my probably my real dream was to play cricket for Australia in the summer and then in the winter to play for the Wallabies. But um, I guess I wow. didn't get to achieve that. Just uh, loved the game and I never really thought I was going to be, I guess, a Wallaby. But then, I, yeah, now I get to pinch myself that I am one. Last Friday, I had uh, the opportunity to speak with Jennifer Robinson, who uh, is Julian Sarge's lawyer. And she said to me, you can't be what you can't see. And... Uh, Invocatively, mentors and role models. I know uh, without any sort of uh, lack of humour, I, I know seriously your dad's been a very good influence in your life, a role model, so is your mum and that extended family. The role models, uh, who were they? Or oh, that's my perception, your dad, your family. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt it would be, uh, I guess, mum and dad. They both have their, their qualities, which I think have both benefited me a lot and just seeing the way um, uh, they've always done it. And then I guess even Sam and Will, my two older brothers, uh, I guess being the youngest, they're kind of, your, I guess, your, your heroes, whatever, I guess, team they wanted to make or whatever they did, I wanted to do it. And I wanted to do it better as a, I guess, being a competitive brother. So, yeah, I've been pretty lucky with, I guess, my family life to have such good role models, I guess, people I see day in, day out. And I guess I've had a lot of good influences over my, sh- I guess, short career so far. But, um yeah, you definitely can't go past your family. So the comparisons, and I'm going to compare you to somebody probably you know anyway, but uh, the comparisons to the legendary Taito Kefu, um, just an outstanding, iconic player for Queensland in Australia, 
and going back a little bit, uh, you remind me in part to some of the, the guy I idolised with Mark Lyon, you know, uh, running off the back of the scrum. Looking at your career as a rugby player, arguably you're redefining what number eights and uh, loose forwards play like that. There's the classic tight uh, forward and somebody who can also play a bit loose and offload is... That part of the game that uh, you see yourself, is that your style? Yeah, yeah. I guess um, the probably the loose loose side of the game, the offloads and I guess running out wide probably always come a lot more natural natural to me. That was something I've, I've done, I guess, my whole life. And, yeah, just something I don't really need to think about. I could kind of naturally do. But I guess then for me was um, my big thing in 2019 going to 2020 I remember having conversations with Thorny, Brad Thorne, our head coach, and um, he probably wasn't sure if I was, I guess, not tough enough, but whether I was willing to put my hand up to do the tight stuff, the the carries not everyone, I guess, wants to do. And then I guess that was kind of a light bulb moment for me saying if I, if I want to achieve one of my dreams at play for Reds, I've got to start to do that at club level and at the NRC level. So that was something I worked on, and now it's something I, I guess I love doing. I love, I guess... You just kind of train yourself to enjoy doing the, I guess, the hard carries and into some, the big boys or um, trying to whack blokes in tight. So, yeah, I guess that's probably, I guess I want to try and be able to do both of them because I know the number eight, you kind of have to be able to do most things on the field. So you're not small. 110 kg, 112 kg, I think, and six and six foot five and a half or 195, six centimetres. It's a big, big game, big body game. Um, and I was just watching you running out of your first test match. You couldn't have picked any um, harder debut for the Wallabies. How was that? Yeah, it was probably one, I guess, in that way. Yeah. Versus New Zealand in New Zealand, it um, doesn't get much tougher than that. But I guess being a 20-year-old at that time and it was my, in my first year of Super Rugby getting my test debut, I kind of didn't even, I guess, blink twice because everything just was happening good that year but um it was pretty pretty surreal being you know, like getting to face the haka it was in wellington you had a sold out stadium there and um you look at some of the the other players you see the Artie sevilla the Bowden barrett you're like oh geez this is um this is uh people i was watching on tv last year so i kind of pinched myself a little bit then but um yeah i kind of being so i guess young and just not really realizing how big of it was at the time it was probably helped me a lot by just going out there and just trying to play in my normal game of footy. You just my observation from afar and just watching you seem to respond to a big occasion. So some people can be, you know, daunted, but just watching you and observing you as somebody who just actually grows the harder it gets and the better you like it, I guess, in some ways. Is that true or is that not true? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's something I definitely try and pride myself on, and I think I think most people, I guess, who have that competitive those competitive instincts, is that's kind of when when the, you know the game's tough or you're versing the better opposition. That's um, I guess when you want to step up because you know that's the that's the time when you're most needed. It's uh, it's always easy when you verse the easier team and scoring a few late tries or that, but when you're I guess facing the All Blacks or facing Crusaders this year and Crusaders, they're the games you want to try and step up because. As a competitor, you don't want to lose and you don't want to take a backward step, so. Why the shift, Harry? Why the shift between the Southern Hemisphere teams and the Northern Hemisphere teams? We see the Ireland winning against the All Blacks. 
We see England, regrettably, getting over the top of us 2-1. We see this um, Argentina, which is not southern, but really coming into the World Cup next year. What are the reasons? Is it a natural cycle? Are they playing a different game? What's happening? Yeah, it is very interesting. The, um, the Northern Hemisphere, is um, they're, they're playing some really good footy. Even a, a team like France, I personally reckon they're probably the best team in the world at the moment. With, um, and they haven't came out on any of these tours this year, but I'm really not sure. I know like a team like Ireland are playing some of the best footy I've seen, I guess, ever. They're, um, they're, they've kind of redefined the way they play. They're playing, a, I guess, a lot more like New Zealand, an up-tempo style with great skills. And um, I guess not, not everyone's seen that from those countries. And I guess you don't normally prepare for that. But, um, yeah, going to a World Cup, which is probably just over 12 months away, um, probably never been such a wide wide open race and um it's pretty cool knowing uh normally for a world cup you have a pretty good guess of who you think's going to win but this the one next year it's um yeah you as a as a betting man um a lot of people will, will be having their own guesses but uh yeah geez it's wide open well uh, as a fellow betting man and uh, person i hope that we can take the odds to the wallabies and uh, make sure that we can get a, a fair each way bet um, so what are your aspirations and dreams in terms of rugby? I know that, um, you know, you've how many test matches have you played so far, Harry? Uh, 11. Yeah, I thought it was 11. I was 10 or 11. So let's take you to when you're about 25, 26. What, what do you think your Harry Wilson will be like then in terms of rugby? Yeah, well, I guess my goals orientated there would be, I guess, hopefully uh, play in the 2023 World Cup, which um, which I firmly do believe that Wallabies will have a really good chance of winning. And I guess there, I want to, I want to hopefully win a World Cup. That's, uh, I guess, that's the ultimate dream there, and uh, something which I guess motivates me every day to, I guess, keep training and trying to get better because uh, being part of something like that is uh, where it would be amazing and something I um, yeah, I've always wanted to be able to do. And then. I guess uh, hopefully, hopefully, still be playing at Reds and um, have won some more silverware by then. E- each year, you get the opportunity in Super Rugby to try and win the Super Rugby Championship, and we won the Super AU one, which which was awesome. But I kind of I want to win, I guess, the real proper one where uh, you beat, I guess, all the Kiwi teams, Fiji and Moana Pacifica. So that's probably, I guess, my other dream is trying to win a Super, the real Super Rugby by then. So you're a Stan Pilecki medalist, a great pole. What a great accolade to actually have that medal. How many games aspirationally do you think that us Queenslanders can have you playing for the Reds? Hundred? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, it would be it would be pretty cool to be able to play hundred games for Reds. They're they're the top of milestones, which I guess you always dream of. You want to join that, I guess, exclusive club. Which even over the last uh, in 2019, when I saw uh, Scott Higginbotham uh, just just reach it, I knew how badly. He, he wanted to reach it and how mm. I remember I think he had it was 96 caps with four games to go and I, I knew there was nothing there was no way he wasn't going to be on the field every game because he just mm. wanted to join that exclusive club and yeah that's like I would definitely love to do it's uh, still a fair way away but if I got the I guess the opportunity to do that it would be pretty cool How many games now? Uh, 44 Wow just seems like yesterday doesn't it um, Coming through as a scholarship holder, Queensland country into the red squad, and then uh, 44 games, it uh, ticks over, doesn't it? Not. So you obviously in uh, your professional life and your broader community life, 
and uh, your community work with the Reds and it's a fabulous part of what Brad Thorne's brought to the Reds. Talk about leadership. Um, I'm interested in leadership um, and studying leaders. Um, are there any particular leaders you greatly admire and uh, I, I guess uh, keenly I'm interested in why you, what are the qualities, one or two things you think, wow, they're very good leaders and this is what they do? Yeah, well, I guess probably one of my, I guess, my favourites is just, I guess, my Reds captain, Liam Wright, just more for uh, he, his type of leadership is well, just so so selfless. He's, I've never seen a person who just is willing to do anything to help the team be, I guess, tight, close, and just even the way we, we prepare. He, um, yeah, sometimes I don't know how he can, he cops at everything, cops stuff from everyone, and he just listens. He, uh thinks about it and then just acts on it and uh, he's a person who who I admire greatly because of that and he's someone I whenever I need a yarn he's there he just puts you in the right the right headspace for everything after that and, and I'm one of I guess 30 players in, in the squad and, and he's open for anyone to always I guess go and have a yarn with him and and then even as a player when he goes in the field he's so calm collected and when uh, we're all getting a bit frantic starting to yell a bit he just gets everyone to take a big big breath and um like start again, which is uh, something at the time you like don't want to do, but you really appreciate it after. So Liam, um, Liam Wright's relatively young as a captain, um, obviously a man, a man amongst men and uh, as well. So anybody else in like community space, you think, well, that particular person, um, Nelson Mandela, or was somebody, a book you may have read or a person you've uh, run into, you think, wow, they've got a presence. Yeah, well, probably, uh, yeah, the teacher or a, a person from Terrace, Blair, Blair Copeland. He's um he's a cricket director and uh, he's someone who who I greatly admire. Just, I guess, he he gets, or well, when you come to Terrace in grade five, he's uh, got such a, uh, you're so you're young and you get moulded into different ways. And he, um well, my, my eight years at Terrace from when I first went in to when I left, he, um just how much he moulded me into the person I am today is, um, it's pretty pretty cool, and when you transition through school, you have your ups and downs. When you turn to a brat, you get in trouble, and he was just the person there who was always keeping me accountable. And and I know he does that to so many other, I guess, kids at the school. And um, it's something which I think not, not everyone always realizes, but it's something which I, I guess, after finishing school and going into, I guess, professional environment, having somebody truly, I guess, cares about you and is only doing it to help you. And um, so he's like somebody I still keep in contact with now a lot. He's kind of, um, whenever I just need a yarn about sport or something or anything, I always leave the conversation in such a, I guess, better mind frame and just ready to, I guess, refocus. So he's um, just a big one for me there. So you talked about ups and downs and keeping you motivated. In your career as a Wallaby, as a professional rugby player, there have been ups and downs, selection tables, um, in and out of favour, how do you actually keep maintaining that? I know you're extremely focused and determined, but how do you keep that purpose going, that will going? Yeah, well, I guess it's just the, I guess, the drive for success where even this year, the first few games of Wallabies when I wasn't getting picked, it, um, it hurts a lot. But just the the want of, I guess, being a part of a successful Wallabies team and pulling on the gold jersey and, and being yeah, just being part of success, that's what um, whenever you're just not picked, it's kind of like you'd, I'd be sad for a bit, but then you just think about how, how am I going to get back in the team? How am I going to be a part of a successful Wallabies team where 
Um, I guess that was my big my big focus. And last year when I got I didn't get picked on the spring tour and got kept back here to work on a few things, that was a I guess another time where obviously I would have loved to have been away uh, playing for Wallabies, but could have went one or two ways. So I just thought I'd take the positive out of it. I've got an opportunity to get better and improve as a footballer. And um, so I think just wanting to, I guess, get better and be a part of successful Australian teams that might be a driving force. Jim Collins talks about leaders as being humble but extremely focused. And that's my observation of you raging humility but really laser-like focus. Just the last two questions... Obviously, rugby, there's a lot of money on offer, professional rugby. I don't want you to tell us right now. (laughs) But I'm sure it's up to this stage and later in a rugby cycle. Playing overseas for professionally, is there Harlequins or in France or somewhere in the world in Japan, is is that on the cards potentially for Harry Wilson? Yeah, definitely in the future, I definitely would love to love to be able to do that just to live I guess in a different country and experience different brands of football and I guess just a different lifestyle but I guess for me at the moment I'm pretty um I guess laser focused on being part of successful Wallabies team and Reds team and um that's uh that's definitely my focus until I hopefully be part of a bit of success here but um yeah it's definitely yeah as a as a player now it's um so many more options I guess what there was in the past and um, yeah, you, you see some places where you could live and play, and play different brands of footy, which is something I always think could be pretty cool. So the last question, Harry, is when you stop playing, whenever that is, what will you do? What What's the other thing that you think, well, if I'm not having such fun and doing having this great life, there's a cycle of obviously a professional footballer. What's next after that potentially for Harry Wilson? Yeah, it's, I'm not too sure to, at the moment, to be honest. It's something I guess I'm trying to work on and ke- uh, continue to us keep them thinking of. But I know it'll be something in in sport, or at least in the health and fitness type of lifestyle. Um, I've done a little business diploma on um, starting your own business. So that was just something that, uh, I guess, intrigued me and something in the future I might want to do. But I guess for me at the moment, it's uh, I'm pretty just, I guess, yeah, focused on, on footy and I'm not really worrying about after it, but uh, I guess as the years go on, I'm uh, trying to yeah think of different little avenues which I know I'd enjoy post footy because uh, I know before I was into footy uh, when I was trying to choose what to do at uni and stuff, I was I was pretty confused. So I was, I was quite lucky that uh, footy footy helped me out when I was I guess 19 there. But yeah, it's like I I'm always uh, yeah thinking about just trying to uh, so at least I got that. When footy is done, I've got a, not something to jump into. Harry Wilson uh, from Emerald Hills to the All Blacks and Harkers to potentially, um, again, overseas playing rugby. It's a fascinating story that's uh, more chapters to be told and uh, we greatly admire you and we applaud you, um, many of us uh, in your cheer squad and we... Uh, what you've achieved at a very young age is uh, certainly uh, some of us can only obviously dream of and you've lived that dream from a young boy to where you are now and there's just so much uh, more to come. So, Harry Wilson, Wallaby, we thank you for your time today on Itch and uh, we'll follow your uh, story and we uh, greatly admire you, as I said before. So thank you, Harry. Thank you very much. Cheers for having me. 
you for joining us today. You can follow Dr. Stephen Brown on LinkedIn and Twitter on at Dr. Stephen Brown One. Please join us next time for another episode of EDGE.